0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right, good morning. So good to be with you, share this moment with you. Glad you're here. Uh, our text this morning is going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 7. The book of Hebrews chapter 7. And... Uh, As we turn to the book of Hebrews, just get our minds on who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and how his resurrection from the dead affirms that, vindicates that. So we'll be in Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 23 to 27. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 to 27. Let's hear the word of God. that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for, the sin, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our God, we pray that you would help us see Jesus this morning, help us see our need for him, help us see his heart towards us, how he meets every need, and help us draw near to you through him and through him alone. Please help me, Lord, as I try to teach this faithfully and clearly and help each one of us as we listen, Lord, speak a better message than I ever could. You know who we are, you know what we need, even now we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So from the very beginning, Christianity has linked itself to one fundamental historical claim. Christianity insists, right, that Jesus of Nazareth, that well-known first century leader and teacher, Jesus of Nazareth, he was crucified unjustly, and then literally, physically rose from the dead, just as he had predicted. Uh, Have you ever asked yourself, what if that's true? Have you ever asked that question? What if that's true? I want to think with you just for a moment about some of these ifs. Here's one, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we're wasting our time here this morning, aren't we? Or maybe, maybe you came just to, like, make a family member happier, and in that case, well, maybe it wasn't a total waste of time, but, but honestly, the whole, the whole system, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're all wasting our time here this morning. In fact, the apostles even admitted this. They said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity's a sham, and Christians are a people most to be pitied. Christianity ties itself to a literal, physical resurrection of Jesus. If he did not rise from the dead, this is a bad joke. If Jesus did rise from the dead, however, it proves he is who he said he is, doesn't it? Proves it. This would mean he is actually the eternal son of God who came into our world and took on human nature. If that's true, that has massive implications. If Jesus did rise from the dead, and he is who he said he is, that means he reigns right now, and one day he will return. Jesus will come again bringing perfect justice, renewing the very world. If Jesus rose from the dead, we will each stand before him to answer for how we've lived He knows our thoughts, our motives, our words, our deeds will all be exposed, measured according to the perfect standard of our creator. That's heavy business. And it's true if Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, he simply can't be what so many assume or hope about him. You know what that is? He simply can't be just another good teacher. I think that's popular mainly because it's kind of like a comfortable place to keep Jesus. If he's just a good teacher, right, you can take some good advice. You can leave the part you're not really into, and you're still kind of respecting him. You know, he's a good teacher. But if he claimed to be the son of God, king of kings, and lord of lords, and if he rose from the dead, it's slanderous to call him just a good teacher, First of all, he'd be a liar because you're saying he claimed to be God, but he really wasn't. That makes him not a good teacher. But if he rose from the dead, no, no. He's the Savior. He's the Lord of all. The only reasonable option. See, the resurrection closes, closes the window on us, right? The, res- the resurrection kind of traps us. If he rose from the dead, the only reasonable option is to bow the knee of our minds, our hearts, our entire lives to him because of who he is. Well, if you would like to investigate the issue, the evidence for the literal resurrection of Jesus, I would love to try to lead you to some resources for that or have that conversation with you, I really would. But I just warn you, be careful because many skeptics have converted by taking on this investigation. But for this morning, there's just one more if of the resurrection I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about together. Here's the if, and it might not be what you expected. If Jesus rose from the dead, this text says he's the perfect priest. If he rose from the dead, he's the perfect priest, and you should draw near to God through him and no other. So I'll admit, part of what I hope you realize this morning is that you have a desperate need for a priest. And I also realize that as I said that, I may have just lost some of you. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe your mind goes to Roman Catholicism. That's not what I'm talking about here. But, but we realize it's, it's not easy for modern people to accept the idea of needing a priest. That maybe feels... Uh, ancient or old-fashioned. Maybe our minds goes to, to ancient times or other nations and places, their priests and their sacrifices. But even as we kind of take the, the most casual view of the world and its history, isn't, isn't, isn't it interesting to realize most religions of the world seem to have the sense that we need priests and sacrifices? Why do you think that is? There seems to be this intrinsic knowledge in much of humanity that on our own, as, as things stand, we are not fit, not good enough to draw near to the divine. Something has to be done to help us. There's, there's a distance between us and God that needs to be bridged, and we need assistance. We need mediation. So I just ask you, uh, you can answer this to your own self. Do you need a priest What do you think our cultural moment tells us about this? What do you think our times tell us about this idea? What I'm listening to, I feel like our cultural moment tells us we can be our own priests. We're told, right, you're good enough to define yourself, invent yourself, stand for yourself. You're good enough, in fact, you can decide what it means to be good enough. You can be your own priest, and what does it mean? What are, what are we told about drawing near to God? We could do that by, what, just be a good person, right? Is that enough? Be a good person or maybe find yourself or spend time in nature or something. If you know, scholars tell us, we are a spiritual but not religious sort of people. And so it shows us that we think as a, collective society drawing near to God is no fearful thing at all we don't need a priest we can be our own that's kind of the cultural moment I think well are you convinced by that cultural message I just wonder if you've thought about these things in your own heart do you need a priest can you do it yourself Um, can you draw near to God on your own merits For me, I know that being my own priest is a failed uh, and miserable project in every way. I've totally given up on that. In fact, I desperately need another way. I need a better way, and that way is in our text this morning. It's the only way. It's the beautiful way. So I want to see three things with you on this Easter Sunday. Number one, our honest need for a priest. Number two, the only true priest. And number three... Just some of the beauty of drawing near to God through him. Of course, my prayer is that God would show you these things and you would know them deeply. Your need for a priest, the beauty of who Jesus is, as the only priest. And just some of the glorious reality of what it means to draw near to God through him. So first, I think we each desperately need a priest ask you some more questions. Do you ever find yourself arguing with yourself on whether or not you're good enough? Have you had that kind of show up, kind of haunting you? You look back on your life? Do you measure up? Is there this sense that you need to measure up? And you wonder if you have. And then maybe in your internal dialogue, you're kind of coming back with reasons why, yeah, maybe maybe I, maybe I did. Why, why do you do that? Why, why do you have that need? Or to ask you another question, uh, are you a good person? Are you a good person? I would love to have a conversational poll with each, each person listening and, and hear, uh, maybe you said yes, and I could, I could say why, and you'd probably bring up some standard that you've met, or maybe you'd say no. No. And I'd say, well, why do you say that? And you'd probably bring up some standard you haven't met. But here's what I think is fascinating I would bet almost none of you would say, who cares? If I asked you, are you a good person? Almost no one would say, who cares? What does that show us about ourselves? Isn't it true? We long to see ourselves as good enough, and we use some standard to condemn or vindicate ourselves. Moreover, not only do we deeply long to see ourselves as good enough, we deeply long to to be seen by others as good enough. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Why is political correctness such such a, a powerful force for some? That's just one example, right, of how we have this need to be seen as good by groups that are important authorities to us. And if yours isn't political correctness, I bet it's something else. Why has social media, in a way, taken over the world, and there's this longing for likes and affirmations and views? Hmm. Why are some of us dominated sometimes by good things taken too far? Like, if I could just be this successful in my career, then I would have, and then how do we say it, made it? Been good enough? Do you know pastors struggle with this? If I could just get my church to be this, this big, this healthy, then I would know I was okay. For others, I mean, it could be a million things, right? For some people this desire to constantly be in a romantic relationship because otherwise they they're not enough or maybe it's the pressure to please your parents or to be seen as great parents that drives a lot of people i'm just chasing around here the reality that our hearts Long for the approval of both ourselves and others according to some standard. And when you're trying to validate and vindicate yourself in this way, you are showing your need for a priest. You need a priest. Because all this points to this one fundamental reality. You are made by a holy God who designed you to be satisfied in him, and there's this Deep knowledge that we need His approval. He's got a standard that we need to meet. And when we start to see that, when we start to realize that, we start to see what the Bible's telling us from start to finish. You can't meet the standard. Did you know that? You can't meet the standard. And as our text would say it, you dare not draw near to God on your own merits. Because you haven't kept the standard. He's, He's holy. He's set apart in his perfections, in his moral purity. Oh, to stand before the holy judge. Could you stand there on your own merits? Just one more moment on this. This idea of standard. Uh, Do you have an internal standard on how you think people ought to treat you? I know you do, because otherwise you'd never get mad, right? (laughs) They mistreat you, you'd be like, hey, no standards for me. Keep coming, right? No one does that, right? Every argument, we're appealing to this high moral standard, you know? Even the most agnostic, atheistic, whatever. You were wrong. Tell me more. Um, No, do you keep your own standard? I don't keep my own standard, and that's pathetic, right? um i don't like it when people gossip i've gossiped i don't like it when people don't consider me and my needs and give me the benefit of the doubt i don't always do that for people and now let's really bring the rain how are you going to do before god's holy standard love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself every time and do so according to submission to his law you can't make this up and then we realize i haven't come close I cannot save myself. I cannot draw near to God on my own. I need a priest. And here's the beauty. Guess what? God knows you need a priest, and God sent you the perfect priest. So we want to see him now, the perfect priest. Um, So we're in the book of Hebrews. Tiny bit of background. The audience of the book of Hebrews was strongly pressured to abandon their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, The cost in their situation for following Jesus was high. We see from the book, some even lost their property due to this persecution. And so there was this pressure, you know, abandoned Jesus. And in their case, it's, well, let's just go back to Judaism and we won't be persecuted. This pressure to abandon Jesus. And so the author of this book is saying, oh see again how beautiful and wonderful Jesus is, how Jesus is better, and it's worth it. It's worth it to hold fast to him, no matter the cost. It's worth it. And in this particular section of the book, the author is arguing for how Jesus is the only true priest. And you never want to leave him. Because he's so precious, he's so wonderful. And it's funny to me, in this passage, the author seems to be saying... Never trust yourself to a priest who dies and stays dead. And if you're wondering, what does this have to do with Easter? This is what it has to do with Easter. Never trust a priest who didn't rise from the dead. What? What does that mean? Here's what it means. The author starts here in this chapter by considering Levitical priests as described in the Mosaic Law. And obviously, hey, this was God's law, right? They had an important purpose when they were established. God established them. But ultimately, the storyline of the Bible shows us, these priests were just pictures teaching us about what would come in perfection in Jesus. And the author of Hebrews here in chapter 7 actually says in verse 18, Levitical priests were set aside because of weakness and uselessness. How do you like that? Weakness and uselessness. They don't give you what you need. And part of their problem, he draws out, is how they kept dying and staying dead. So their role as priest ended with their death. Moreover, their priesthood itself was compromised. Why? Because they died. And you think, well, that's not fair. Everybody dies. Well, you see, part of the problem, he goes into this, are they had to offer sacrifices for themselves for their own sin. They'd rebelled against God. They couldn't stand before God on their own. They needed priests. So that means they can't ultimately bridge the gap for you that they can't cross themselves. So all these priests, all these sacrifices, all these dying, it didn't actually get it done. Ultimately, their value was pointing us to the real thing. And I just want to tell you right here that's true of the Levitical priests. Don't trust in them today. It's also true of today's cultural voices. It's true of all the religions and all their leaders. It's true of anyone and everyone except one. The resurrected one is the only true priest. Never trust yourself to a priest who dies and stays dead. Won't be enough to enable you to draw near to God. So here's our if for the day. If Jesus rose from the dead, he's the perfect priest. He's the one your soul needs. And you should love to draw near to God through him. This chapter says that, Hebrews 7. Look at Hebrews seven sixteen. Jesus has become a priest by what? The power of an indestructible life. It's the resurrection that vindicated him As the priest, look at Hebrews 7, 24. He holds his priesthood permanently because why? He continues forever. He rose from the dead and will never die. If Jesus rose from the dead, he is the only and ultimate priest we need. So I wanna give you three reasons why the resurrected Jesus is the perfect priest and the one you want to have as your priest and draw near to God through him. Number one, the perfect sacrifice. Here 727. Uh, the author writes, Jesus has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And we think of all these priests and all their sacrifices coming, 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 and they had to keep coming. Why? Because they never fundamentally worked. And then you hear these three words which are really incredible in light of all those priests and all the sacrifice. Here we have once for all. He's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He's the priest to end all priests. The language here, once for all, means it's been done in the past and it's perfect forever. It can't be improved upon, it can't be changed. It's ultimate, it's fundamental, it's foundational once for all. How can, how can this be? Well, number one, he's the only one who's never sinned. Jesus is the only one who doesn't need a priest. He lived the perfect life. He always kept the standard. He fulfilled the law, as verse 26 says. He's holy, innocent, unstained. I just want to ask you, is there any other leader in all of human history who could make the claim to never have sinned? All you would have to do is, like, call his mom, right? Did he sin? Oh, yeah, we're finished, right? Call his wife. Did he ever sin? Are you kidding? No, we're finished. Do you know Jesus' enemies? What did they kill him for? Was it because of all his crimes and his sins? No, it's because he claimed to be the son of God. And guess what? He's the son of God. He has no sin. And then you begin to see the heart of this true priest and in the, in the deeds of this priest. Because why is he here? Why is he dying then? He's giving himself up as the perfect sacrifice because of his utter Commitment to his people. In our series these last few weeks, that's what this is, the heart of the king towards his people and the heart of his king towards you is commitment. Commitment. He came to represent you. He lived the perfect life in your place and he gave himself up On the cross, as a substitution, he's taking on himself what you deserve. Have you ever asked the question, why the cross? Why the cross? People don't unpack this enough. People don't don't meditate on this enough. Why the cross? Why is that what it took? It's because, one reason, God is perfectly just. Just. It's both a beautiful and a terrifying thing, right? One day, justice will come in completeness. It's good news for the new world, but it's bad news for me. Because when justice comes left to myself, I've been evil, I've been selfish, I break my own standard, I decimated God's, I cannot draw near to him. But look, Jesus' commitment. And this this should ring at the heart of every believer. His commitment to you as your priest, where he has his people in his mind and says, I will come and live the life they could not live. I will do that for them. I will come and I will give myself up as the sacrifice for their sins. I will do that for them. And his work was so perfect, so unimprovable they provided everything we need to be right with god and jesus said this as he gave up his life what did he say it is finished how could we believe such a thing here's the answer he rose from the dead he rose from the dead that shows he's a perfect priest and that his sacrifice was perfect. In the resurrection of, the, of Jesus Christ, the Father said the life was perfect, the death was sufficient, he's victorious, and it was enough for all our people. He's the perfect priest in that he offered a perfect sacrifice. Second, it shows he has the perfect qualifications Verse 26 says, It's indeed fitting we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. First word to think about fitting. That word means the resource here is perfect for the need. It fits. The, 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 The power here is perfect. For the lack, it meets all the need. It fits. He's just right. The perfect resource for all our needs. It says he's separated from sinners. That, that doesn't mean he doesn't come near or associate with sinners. That can't, that can't be what it means. But what he means is he was completely untouched by the sin problem in himself. There's, there's two categories of people that have ever lived. Sinners. right? Sinners? Which one am I in? Are you Jesus? No. Sinners? Jesus. And that's what you need as a priest. You need the one who did it perfectly. And as a result of that perfection, did you see the end of that line in verse 26? He's exalted above the heavens, So here he is, he went through judgment on our account, not his own, perfectly qualified to meet our needs, and now he reigns exalted. He sits, the beginning of Hebrews tells us, at the right hand of his Father who's in heaven, and his father who loves the Son and delights in what he's done. There's nothing in Jesus to fault him or disagree with. The most exalted person ever, that's your priest. That's your priest part of the idea here is one of the, the priest advocates. Do you know that word, advocates? So, so imagine uh, you're in court, um, and you realize how foolish it would be to represent yourself. And so you try to get the, the best advocate you possibly could. And once you're in that setting, right, isn't your future kind of dependent on how good your advocate is? Okay? If you're a if legal counsel, if your advocate is no good at this game, Sorry, right? But if you have the best ever, it's almost like you don't have to do anything at all. You just sit and watch, and he'll win the argument. That's who Jesus is. He's the one advocating for you, and he never advocates for something he doesn't get. He always advocates perfectly. He's always heard with the delight of the Father. He's he's the perfect one, exalted above the heavens. And do you realize the promise here? If you're his, he has you in his mind. He advocates for you. That that should should give you a little bit of happiness. He's the perfect priest. And how does this work? Again, it's because he rose from the dead. He's exalted. He won. He's victorious. So the the resurrection shows his perfect sacrifice. It also shows his perfect qualifications. Third thought on this is the resurrection shows his perfect intercession. Are you aware that Jesus Christ intercedes for you? I think it's. I think there's one way to have, uh, or I think there's a less helpful way some people envision this, and and here here it is. Maybe if you've heard, oh, Jesus intercedes for you, maybe you heard it like this. So Jesus kind of tiptoes into his father's living room, and his father is mad at you, right? Because you never get this quite right. And, And Jesus comes in and says, oh, father, you know, if you could just have mercy on him one more time. He's trying, and then pause, well, sort of trying, Uh. Could you find it in your heart to be merciful one more time, please? And the Father's, oh, yeah, okay. If that's the way you envision it, it won't encourage you at all. Also, that's heresy. (laughs) That's not how it happens. That's not how it works. Jesus, when he advocates, is not in a way advocating for mercy. He's advocating for justice. He's actually saying, and the Father's quite pleased with it, Father, it is totally just. In fact, to our glory and their joy, I demand that you justly pour out your grace on these people. Father, they are to be seen as innocent, beautiful, worthy of the deepest acceptance, love, and belonging. And he's speaking of you. And you might say there, well, hold on, that's a lie. (laughs) How can he say that? How can he justly say that? But don't you see, do you see what it means really to be a Christian? Did you think that to be a Christian was to kind of have a soft view of God, go to church every once in a while you could, and try hard to be a a good person at least a little better than some of those other people? That's not Christianity. And you can kind of do that without Christianity. Christianity is to be united to the person of Jesus Christ by faith. He's yours and you're his. Growing to love and worship and know him. And so when Jesus advocates for his people, He is saying, Father, it is justice for you to love and welcome and accept them. Why? Because you wear Jesus. He's your priest. He gives you all that he is and all that he has done. His perfect righteousness, the the standing of innocent righteous, that's yours through Jesus. The forgiveness of all your sins is yours through Jesus. And Jesus is so sure the Father is so just and would never demand a double payment. He would never demand a double payment, which means if Jesus paid for your sins, there's no other payment left. It's wiped out. It's poured out. You're clean. Can you Oh, the beauty of our priest's commitment to us, that through Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All the wrath of God for your sins is gone. It's gone. The Father delights in the Son and what the Son has accomplished. And by grace, through faith, the Son and what he's accomplished is yours. And the Father delights in you. So, when Jesus intercedes for you, his whole life, everything he's accomplished, is saying, fully in, fully loved, fully welcomed, fully forgiven. And you realize Jesus intercedes like this forever. Did you see this verse? This is just glorious. Verse 25. Consequently, again, because Jesus is the true priest due to his resurrection, verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Just unpack this for a moment. He. Who's he? Jesus. Always. What's always mean? Always, okay? Lives to make intercession. Maybe it works. You ever hear somebody say, oh, I live for this. What does that mean? They really like it and they want to keep doing it. Feels like life to them. Jesus always lives to make intercession for you. Blow, blow you away always lives to make intercession for you. He's he's not like the other priests who sin and they're flaky and they might change their minds and then they die in the end. No, he's always the same. His work is always perfect. His position is always the highest it could possibly be, and his voice for you is always the same. He's interceding. And he always lives to make intercession. It will never end forever and ever and ever and ever You've never had a friend like this. He's the perfect priest. And so that's why the author, the author here says, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost. Do you know this about Jesus? He's not like playing dice when he try, tries to save people. Hope I can do it. What's your percentage? Eh, it's better than baseball, you know, it's... Now when he saves he always saves to the uttermost which means he saves you completely and he saves you forever. And you think how can it be I'm a flake I go up and down I've been rebellious I've been foolish I've been yeah. that's true you would be a terrible priest for yourself. Let's resign that whole idea. Don't draw near to God through yourself. What a lie. What a foolish, foolish lie. No. Draw near to God through him, the perfect priest as shown by his resurrection. He saves completely, friends. Let's just taste in our last few minutes together some of the beauty of this reality. I just want to tell you, behold all the religions of the world. Behold all the philosophical arguments. You will never find a priest like this one. Go ahead and try. You won't find it. There's no one like him. Literally tied to the events of history and more loving, more beautiful, more faithful than anything you've ever heard of. It's Jesus. First thing I want to share with you. Number one, you'll never have anyone so wonderful and so committed You'll never have anyone so wonderful so committed to you for such an extent. You'll never have someone so wonderful so committed to you to such an extent. Now, occasionally in this life, right, we find some special friends. Good friends, right? They're a rare, rare treasure. Somebody moves, something changes. You get old. Or, or in this life, you might find the most faithful spouse. I have one. Even the best marriage ends by death. But here we see Jesus. So wonderful. The eternal Son of God. So committed to you that he would come and represent you in his life, that he would take your place on the cross in his death, that he would rise from the dead and intercede for you forever. So wonderful, so committed to you, to such an extent it will never end. Let your heart be melted by the love of Jesus Christ. There's no friend like him. Number two, you you trust this, this can crush your guilt. Not only will you have the best friend of all friends, this can crush your guilt. How many of you, and we don't want to admit this, every once in a while those regrets come and get you again. And you just know you were caught red-handed and it's a stain in your life and on your soul and in your past, and there's no way out. You did what you did. And it has its scars. Oh, And then the voices come, right? Not good enough. Not enough. Not acceptable. Not enough. Friends, right here, you need to learn to listen to your advocate. Learn to listen to your advocate. Yes, we confess the reality of our sin and we wanna turn from him, but we go and we look to him and we listen to his voice and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Look to me and you take your heart right back to You know what? I'm far, far, far from perfect, but he was perfect for me. And I've got loads of things I can't atone for, but he died on the cross for me. And when I hear these voices of not making it, not being good enough, I have a priest who intercedes for me at the right hand of the throne of God, and he will do it forever. You might be able to sleep again when you believe that. can crush your guilt. Third, it can set you free. This gospel can set you free. What, what brutal taskmasters exist in your life and your heart? Do you ever feel this oppressive pressure to serve or please some certain group of people or things? There's some expectation out there that you have to meet this, right, in order to be good enough, in order to make it. Or think of the issue of criticism. What criticism is crushing you? You kind of measure your heart's trust in the gospel by how you respond to criticism. If somebody criticizes you and you're like nuclear, you know, on fire, coming apart, it's interesting. Why? Why is that? What praise is there out there do you think you just have to have? And so you're slave to it. To prove yourself right in front of the criticism or get out from under it or or to prove and get that praise from that group or that person. When you hear the Father in heaven saying of you, perfect. Because of who Jesus Christ is, is for you as your priest. All other praise fades a little bit in its importance, and all other condemnation kind of loses its sting. I want to be the kind of person who can listen to criticism humbly, right? I I need some. I'm not asking for it all this afternoon, okay? Uh, I, I need some. I want to listen to it humbly, but you know what? You know what? I want the kind of heart that so looks to my priest that even when condemnation is a little bit unfair or criticism is a little too harsh, I can, in my heart, smile and say, "You know what? I'm actually far worse than you actually know." And I have a priest. I have a priest. Friends, you need a priest. There's a lot of counterfeits out there. Never trust a priest who hasn't risen from the dead. And because Jesus lived the perfect life, predicted his death and resurrection, accomplished it, and now reigns at the right hand of the Father, knowing his sacrifice was perfect, his qualifications are perfect, his intercession is perfect. Draw near to the real God through him with joy, because he's alive, and he always will live to make intercession for you, and there's no one else like that. Let's pray. Our Father, it's hard for us to comprehend this kind of love and grace, It's like we're spiritually handicapped, Lord. We, we don't see how bad our sin is, but we also don't see how incredible your love is for those who repent of their sins and trust Jesus. So I pray this morning for each one of us as we celebrate the historical reality, Lord Jesus, of your resurrection, that we would also taste and apply and enjoy the application of the reality that you are alive. You're the perfect priest. So committed to us that you would do this. So faithful. So fitting. Set us free, Lord, from our allegiance to any other priests. Set us free, from our guilt and from our shame. Let sin and its practices turn bitter to us because we have you. Let us draw near to God through you, enjoying your great love for us and living for your glory according to your word in every way. We love you. We thank you that you're alive. We can't wait for you to come back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Happy Easter, everybody. It's good to be with you. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.